welcome to this week's edition of the Bitwise Podcast. Um, today we're going to be chatting about oh, a whole lot of things been happening this week, haven't there? China's yeah. turning allegedly turning bullish on Bitcoin while simultaneously turning all their miners off. <laughs> uh, yeah, interesting. We're, we're going to dive in. So where do we start there? I mean, what did they actually say? So People's Bank of China released a statement um, earlier in the week saying that they see Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies as alternative investments, which doesn't sound like much, but it's um, a vast change in tune from what they were saying three years ago. I mean, in 2017, they were shutting down exchanges. Um, you know, they flip flop between bands. I mean, that's why Binance, Binance left China, right? I went to Singapore. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly for that reason. What's Binance worth now? I mean, not the shitcoin, but the, the company. I have no idea. A lot. I mean, it's a massive exchange, right? But yeah, they basically moved out of China because of regulatory uncertainty. But so, so what is it that makes <clears throat> that's make China change their tune? Um, it's obviously speculation from our side, but I think it's probably because it's a geopolitical move, right? Just like Peter Thiel said the other day. I reckon so. Um, China, I mean, it's one, of, it's one of three things. Either they've realized that there's geopolitical game theory and by them adopting Bitcoin, they can undermine the US. Um, mm-hmm. Or they've realized they can't beat Bitcoin, so they're trying to join it. <laughs> or they've captured Bitcoin. Um, and you and I know that capturing Bitcoin is not something that's really feasibly possible. Um, well, well, I mean, on the third point, they used to have like 80% of the hash rate back in the day. Um, yep. I mean, they were incredible early adopters of Bitcoin itself. Uh, but that's Chinese people, not just Chinese government. Yeah, yeah. So we're just talking about China as a whole. So, yep. But that's dropped to 40% now of the total hashing power. <coughs> it's coming up. Um, and then that first point about the geopolitical you know, game theory, I think that's the one because look at them in China um, and Russia, they're all trying to move away from the US dollar as a reserve currency. Um, I think it's in their best yeah. interest. Yeah. And it's not as if China wants the yuan to be the, the world reserve currency because they don't want that's a, it's a Achilles heel, you know, because um, they've seen long term. China thinks in, you know, 50 year cycles. <clears throat> they don't want to take on that kind of poison chalice of being the world's reserve currency because it, it gives you an extraordinary privilege in the early phase of it. Um, but ultimately, it, ultimately it leads to the destruction of your society because you end up exporting all your money um, to the rest of the world, but then you also offshore all of your production capacity. So you end up a hollowed out shell without any productive capacity, which is what's happened to the US, right? You just end up as a, as a financialized service heavy industry with no productive capacity to build anything. Yeah, that's what happened to America when they were on the gold standard. And then Nixon in 1971 changed that because they were the reserve currency backed by gold. There was a lot of gaming mm. uh, by other countries with through trade. Who <clears throat> you know, we don't want to get too technical, but basically they were just gaming the whole system. Uh, yeah. with a currency manipulation and and America ended up just being the loser. They ended up losing a lot of gold reserves um, yeah. and they realized that they needed to move away from it, but they still wanted to maintain their reserve status. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. when they moved to the petrodollar, right? Exactly. But so, so to get back to China and, and um, why they're probably more starting to become bullish on Bitcoin is because if they, it's, there's game theory between countries here. If 
the country that adopts Bitcoin first stands to get stands again exponentially by doing so. Um, I didn't think it would be China. I thought it would be a small nation state to do it first, but um, it remains to be seen, I suppose. But if China has to accumulate Bitcoin, um, it's going to drive Bitcoin price way up and they'll be the beneficiaries of their price move. And then everyone else will jump in afterwards to chasing the price. So if the US is a late adopter, and this is exactly what Peter Thiel was getting to the other day, if the US is a late adopter, they're going to suffer um, yeah. because Bitcoin's a black hole for value. Like it's just going to suck in all, all the fiat that's being printed. So yeah. um, the US, you know, I believe that the US is a, may not be anymore, but what once was like the bright shining city on the hill for, for liberty and freedom. Um, and they should be the ones naturally who are gravitating towards Bitcoin, but that's not at all the way it's playing out these days anymore. Um, no, so I mean, you adopt it. Yeah. So the kingmaker is who has the most Bitcoin reserves and you'll see nation yeah. states who do that, like Slovakia. Um, I don't know if you could say Ukraine does because they only their politicians yeah. do, but, um, yeah. Whoever it's not has a politician, man, it's like a it's like a civil servant. He works he works in like a in the city as like a, a councilman, and he has eighteen thousand Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done to him. Uh, well done to him, bro. He's, he's a dollar billionaire. Yeah, so maybe we'll see China crack down on miners and and try to centralize the ownership of those coins that those miners have. You know, those miners would have sold quite a lot through their operations to for you know to cover the costs. I I don't know. This is all theory. Yep. But um, but basically, I don't know. Like we gotta we gotta link that to their central bank digital currency. The, that they currently have, that they've piloted yeah. successfully, that they've distributed to a couple of hundred thousand, even not a small couple of million people. And and that's that's their primary goal right now is to distribute that um, and provide credits on an individual basis, not through repo rates. That can help prop up their economy because their economy is propped up by, I believe, quite a big lie. Because they don't let money out of the system. It's all capital controls, yeah. The money is just circular and whatever comes in stays in. And this is what is causing uh, those massive capital projects and all that. And that's what's causing... Well, that's, what's, that's why there's so much mining centralization in China because they have these planned economies and they've built power plants with a 20-year time to a 30-year time horizon, right? Yeah. Because of the central planning. And there were, therefore, there was all the surplus electricity that is basically free because there's so much of it and they've got to get, you know, you're producing it and what you can do with it. And that's why the miners are there. It's not because the Chinese government like kickstarted the mining industry or anything. It's just because there was so much, so much surplus power. Yeah. That's why the miners aggregated there. Um, <clears throat> especially, you know, that kind of segues into our, into our next point about the, um, the hash rate drop off that we saw uh, earlier in, what was it last week? Yeah, where, incredible. Yeah, I mean, there's a massive amount of hash rate dropped off the network. Um, and the reason for that was because uh, uh, there was a regular, well, there was uh, accidents on a coal mine in China and they basically shut down a bunch of mining, coal mining operations and shut down a bunch of uh, coal mining power plants, coal fired power plants. So there was no power for the miners to run anymore. So then all the hash rate came off the network. And then this caused a knock on effect, um, which is part of Bitcoin's design, part of the beauty of it. but. It basically fees went through the roof as we well know because our operations suffered because of having to pay, spend more in fees but yeah <clears throat> so i mean spike in fees yeah so to simplify that for people 
what happens is what happened was you saw the real rate of the hash power drop by about 40 to 50 percent in a matter of days and what that means is there's a certain certain difficulty rate right now in bitcoin meaning it's they need to solve a puzzle and it's quite difficult right now because there was a lot of mining power and because all that mining power came off that difficulty is still the same and what's the, the, the most beautiful thing about Bitcoin, the, the most, the, if anybody wants to take anything out of Bitcoin is the difficulty adjustment uh, yep. um, algorithm. So that only gets set on the, at the end of this month, on 30th of April. What that means is that it'll take in how often blocks are being mined and, and how good the network's looking. And right now it's looking pretty shit. So then it'll probably go lower in difficulty. But we got another nine days to wait for that. Yeah, and because of the incentives, right? Because a lot of hash rate drops off, that means fees go up because people are basically competing for space on the blockchain to tra process transactions. Yeah. <clears throat> so fees go up and that means more miners come into the network, miners that are not in China. So people who basically have old miners lying around that were not profitable anymore mm. because they're obsolete, all of a sudden uh, fees go up. So mining profitability goes up. So these guys join the network. So that's yeah. then going to, when the difficulty recalculation happens, um, in the next week or so, it's gonna all of that's gonna be taken into account. So the hash rate drop off is not gonna be as severe as, as we think. And this is the beauty of the Bitcoin network; it self adjusts. Yeah. Um, and I had a look at the hash rate chart earlier this afternoon, and and um, someone messaged me in one of our groups, and he was like, "Yeah, like Bitcoin network's dying. Look, yeah, there's a fifty percent drop in 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 the hash rate." And I was like, "Yeah, we dropped back to the levels last seen in November 2020, yeah, in terms of hash bar, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like." At the peak of this of December 2017, when price is 20,000, <clears> hash rate was 11 times lower than what it is currently today. 11. 11 times lower. So we've gone up three times in price, but 11 times in security of the whole network. So the network has never been more secure than it is now. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I could, look, to me, it's the most beautiful site of, of it is the most perfect free market in this yeah. planet um yeah. and and they are only free market on this planet yeah there's lagging effects but it does turn always turn to some point of rationality and centricity um <clears throat> but i mean going back to like okay so china's not trying to ban bitcoin why is that good for bitcoin obviously for obvious reasons but um, I, I look. I, I think as as the as the bull market continues, you see Biden coming out with a lot of regulation around crypto and all that. And maybe this bull run, America is the Bitcoin's nemesis. I don't know. They got a lot of institutions yeah. in play now, but there will be more fear, uncertainty, and doubt in the markets. There always is, and and people are always trying to make you get you to shake out your Bitcoin position. I just don't listen to it. No, we saw that today. Guggenheim came out and released a statement today. Like they bought Bitcoin not too, like a couple of months back. They released a statement saying they could see it drop 50%. That's just Guggenheim trying to get people to sell their Bitcoin so they can buy it on the cheap. Exactly. <laughs> like they're a hedge fund, right? This is what they do. They spoof the market all the time. This is like standard practice for hedge funds. They go out, create a bit of like fake news and then buy the rumor, sell the fact. Like this is what they do. Yeah. So they're trying to get they're trying to shake the weak hands out so they can buy their Bitcoin on the cheap. So don't, don't fall for it. <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. I mean, in reality, the fundamentals for Bitcoin have never been better than this. Like, you know. No, never. <laughs> never been better. 
No, never. It's it's. It, I'm actually glad it's it's calmed down when I reach 60, 61, 62. and it's it's just you need to find a solid base. Um, I mean, the the hodlers are holding. Yeah, they continue yeah. to We're do not selling. <laughs> no, never. No, and it's weird how like the more seasoned the hodler you become, like maybe you've got to have gone through at least one bear cycle to get this, but like when we have 10% drops in price, like I don't flinch anymore. It doesn't no. even, doesn't like heart rate doesn't go up. Like it doesn't phase me anymore. I'm just like, Oh, that's a nice buying opportunity. You know? No, I mean, last year, last year, March, when I went to $3,800, calm hands. Yeah. Buy some calm. more. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's like I've, we've been there for a long time and the fundamentals, you got to stick to them. You got to understand what's happening around you. Uh, the macroeconomic side, and that's all you need to look at. And then just don't worry about what Bitcoin does because it'll just carry on going like, like it doesn't care. So, I mean, on that, like what is the driving fundamental of Bitcoin price? Like it, in my mind, it's everything else is inflating. So the price yeah. of everything else is going up because they're printing money. And MMTers can say what they want. Like it doesn't make sense. They're printing a huge amount of money that pushes prices up and the only one asset that is not inflating is going to accumulate all that value. Like people are going to flock to it. And the worse it gets, you know, the more inflation starts, uh, starts arriving on the scene, the more people are going to run for safe haven assets that don't experience that, that uh, depreciation in, in, in purchasing power. Um, and the latest stats came out today. Lumber's up over 300% year to date, you know, like. <laughs> year to date, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, over the last 12 months, sorry. In the last 12 months. Um, corn is up over 100%. Wheat, oil, you name it, it's gone up. You know, the only thing that hasn't gone up is gold, 4%. <laughs> so there'll be a point of critical mass, right? When people realize what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. And, the inflation and, is here, man. Oh, yeah. And, and whether it's in your petrol, whether it's yeah. in your loaf of bread, and it'll happen everywhere. And people think like just because America's printing, it's going to be there. <laughs> Every country's printing. I mean, South Africa, what did they what did they print? Even though we never saw a dime go anywhere and there's no transparency whatsoever. They did. Yeah, they, we printed we printed in similar percentage wise as other countries that, you know, 20, 30 percent of our of our um, total debt was of our, of our total uh, money supply was added this last year. Um, I mean, they say the South African Reserve Bank is the uh, most responsible SOE, which is kind of true, but they still printed a huge amount of money. Um, and then they have the goal to come back and say that inflate CPI is 3%. Are they, you know, I'd like to get some of, some, some of that that they're smoking, but it's madness. Like inflation is definitely more than 3%. It's probably closer to 15%. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. And that's, that's on average across all things and, and, and all commodities and all, don't even look at your CPI basket. That's just a load of bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only person who looks at, at CPI and, and and treats it as gospel or asset managers because they use it as a benchmark, right? They're like CPI yeah. plus three. That's our target. So then they get 7% and they tell you they're beating the market when in actual fact you're purchasing power when price and that asset is still going backwards. Um, exactly. It's a long con, man. <laughs> I mean, look at your Woolworths chicken. There's, there's a sticker there saying like lower prices, we help you. Lower <laughs> prices means it's just the same price it was six months ago. And that's that's the game theory there. They're just showing you what your price actually used to be. And then everything else has gone up 10%. And your salary hasn't. Yep. Yep. Because, your, because your, your boss uses CPI to, when they work out the increases, right? Yeah. And your... And your, and your um, yeah, you know, basically your investment portfolio, if you're not Bitcoin, has an either. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> the, the, the inflation is showing up. Um, governments have overplayed their hands, and and the smart governments um, are realizing that hey, maybe we need a, a well, maybe it's not government. It's not happening at a government level. It's happening at an individual level within government. The individual employees, government employees, are making decisions for themselves, and they see the inflation. They know they've got insider knowledge. They know what's happening. Yeah. And they're buying Bitcoin, and this is why <laughs> this is why Bitcoin is a is a um, Trojan horse for freedom, right? Like I just read a great article in in the Bitcoin magazine about this, and it's because. You know, like the story of the Trojan horse, you know, the, the, the Greeks trying to sack Troy for 10 years and they couldn't get in. And then eventually they, they left and they left the Trojan horse on the beach filled with soldiers. Um, uh, and the, the Trojans were like, oh, a nice horse. They dragged it inside. <clears throat> and even though there were people in Troy who were saying, don't trust anything the Greeks give you. There's no gift for free from the Greeks. <laughs> even though there's some deep chicken littles in, uh, in, in the Trojan government saying, don't do it. You know, the greed overwhelmed them and they wanted this nice horse and they pulled it in and then we all know what happened next, right? Yeah. So this is what's happening in governments. Like there's some naysayers, there's Christine Lagarde and the, you know, the, the, that, that ilk from the central banks who are just trash talking Bitcoin all the time because they know exactly what Bitcoin is and they know what a threat it is to their system. Um, but they can't do anything about it because it's Bitcoin turns greed into freedom, man. Like, well, I, I mean, like the, I it exploits it exploits people's greed and it exploits individual actors' greed because number go up, right? They want to get rich. So they buy Bitcoin. Next thing, they buy Bitcoin. Now they've got a vested interest to protect Bitcoin. Um, yeah. And it changes people. Like if, you've, if you're a government employee and working for the Reserve Bank and you, your official position is that, you know, Bitcoin is a scam or Bitcoin is, you know, like can't be money because only governments can issue money or whatever tripe they speak. If you buy Bitcoin as a, a government official and you start it goes up significantly over the course of five years, it's going to change you, you know? <laughs> and this is exactly what it does. It's insidious. It's a, it's a virus. Um, do, you, do you think they know that what they're doing is bullshit? Or do you think they're so um, hoodwinked into their own shitty paradigm that they actually just think they're doing the right thing? I mean, it's a bit of both, right? You get, you get, you get some people who are smart enough to know um, that it's all bullshit. Um, you know, they work for Reserve Bank and they know it's all bullshit. They're like, but they've got a, they got a paycheck, right? Um, that they got to get at the end of the month and they've got to, they got, they've a got mandate. to say all the right things. They got a mandate. They got to say the right things. Um, you know, it's like, like Dr. Fauci, you know, <laughs> a few months back, he was like masks don't work. And then a few months later, he's like, wear three masks, you know, um, <laughs> he's got a mandate, right? Like, so it's the same with central bankers. So there's some people that are smart enough to know. Um, what's really going on and that they, you know, uh, let's accumulate some Bitcoin as a, as an escape hatch for ourselves as, as government employees, just like uh, Robert Mugabe had Swiss bank accounts. You know, he wasn't keeping his wealth in the Zim dollar, even though yeah. he was the one driving the inflation of the Zim dollar and, and forcing the reserve bank to print. Yeah. Um, but he, he knew what was going on. Like he's a, he retired as a, well, he died as the richest head of state in the world. You see, I mean, I, I, even coming from an investment background, all that, I didn't really understand what was going on until I bought Bitcoin. And, and, actually, yeah, I, I, and I actually didn't really understand Bitcoin or crypto in general. And the point I still of don't it. understand crypto in general. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But I, <laughs> I, I didn't really understand Bitcoin until I bought it and then put in the work. Yeah. You've you got to put in the hard work. Despite Nassim Taleb being a salty old cow nowadays, like he's right about the skin in the game thing, you know? Like, 
yeah, maybe maybe the central bankers just haven't put in the work and they still don't understand it. But they know it's um, they see it as a trillion dollar asset and they know it's a uh, it's an enemy enemy. The thing is, those that haven't put in the work are immaterial. They don't matter. You know, it doesn't matter what they think because they're fools. They they're ill informed. The ones that have put in the work and are still pushing for their central bank policies are either doing that because it's their mandate and they've got a paycheck they've got to chase and they you know that's they're on the on on the blue team or the red team or whatever team you want they're on that side um <clears throat> but they understand the game they those are the guys you got to watch out and the guys that are still supporting to their core supporting central banks and mm. central banking those are the evil those are the evil ones yeah. right because they know what this causes and i think you and i both know that there's a point of critical mass where the bear market in, in traditional markets, something needs to turn, yep. uh, and they'll carry on printing money relentlessly. But you know the the, the shoe stops somewhere. And what <laughs> <The> happened? <shoe. laughs> they kick you down the street, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what happens then? I mean, okay, so we know stock market goes down crazy. Uh, yep. We know house prices collapse because everything is so over collateralized. But what what do you think happens to Bitcoin? I mean, there's going to be a crash first in Bitcoin when that happens. There yeah. will be a crash because they're degenerate. They degenerate lab gamblers on there, and there's a lot of leverage, right? And those yeah, all the leverage, all the leverage longs get go get go, uh, liquidated, like what happened when the hash rate uh, crashed recently. Like mm-hmm. the, the you know that was bigger than the March liquidation. It was more than double the size. Um, but because Bitcoin runs twenty four seven, it clears very quickly. So all that malinvestment clears out of the system. You have a fast, abrupt, large amount of pain, and then you can recover, like we saw in March, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what will happen in that crisis. Like all assets will go down when the bubble pops. It's just who recovers fastest and who, who you know, where does the value flow to when the dust settles? Yeah. Um, so everything will go down. But like in Zimbabwe, when, um, when they had their crisis, the stock market was going up. Everyone thought they were getting rich. Same in Weimar, Germany, man. Like when you go and study history and you look at every hyperinflationary event and luckily for us, there's a shitload of, of hyperinflationary events to go and study. Yeah. <laughs> so we know what happens. It's like, it, it's basically all asset prices go up. Everyone has an illusionary wealth effect. They think they're getting richer because everything denominated in fiat is going up. Mm. Um, and, and uh, uh, the cracker boom happens. Yeah, we were listening to Russell and Bertie and that author of that book, When When Money Dies, right? Yeah, yeah. What's his name? You remember? I, I forget the co-author, but I know. Yeah, Russ was a was one of the authors. And, yeah. and they were explaining what happens, to Bobby. But that's <clears> that's that took ten years, right? Of actual yep. the first indicators to the point of where you call it the collapse. So mm. it's, it's a slow grind, but then gradually and suddenly, and that's the same thing that happened in Germany, the German Weimar in the nineteen twenties. So Zim, Zim was an interesting one. It's quite long because they had such resilience in terms of like being an agricultural exporting nation. They had a vast amount of exports. If you compare that to the, the example of what happened in Zaire before it became Congo, um, their hyperinflationary event happened in three years, man. Like they went from losing, you know, not a large amount against in purchasing power against the dollar. Over a 20-year period, they lost like only 95% of their purchasing power against the dollar, which sounds horrific. But by, by African state uh, um, uh, levels, that's not bad at all. Yeah. You know? um, and then in the last three years, their inflation just went absolutely through the roof. Um, and then what was really interesting, and this is where the MMT is, they can't answer this, this one, but the Zaire, um, the currency that they had, 
was hyperinflated to, to trillions. Um, and then they issued a new Zaya currency. <clears throat> so they didn't abandon the old one. And then, incidentally, the inflation obviously carried on in the new currency as it will. You know, this is what happens. The old currency that they stopped printing, its purchasing power increased because the free market, without anyone telling them or any coordination, realized, oh, this old currency is not being inflated anymore. It's now a stable store of value and its purchasing power went up without the, you know, without the government being involved at all. And this is kind of where Bitcoin comes in, right? It's gone from zero to 60,000 with zero input from government. Yeah. Yeah. Like no one has given a permission. It hasn't asked anyone's permission. It hasn't. And this just blows the entire uh, concept of you know, MMT out the water that money can only exist at the decree of government. How with thousands of years of history, we can look and see that that is not true, yet people somehow today believe it is true. But then again, you know, 2020 has taught us that people believe any kind of bullshit. Absolutely. So it's a, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy world out there, but you know, those that haven't got Bitcoin in their, in their portfolio are really going to suffer when, when this inflation really kicks into high gear. Um, and I, I mean, I'd love to be wrong about this because that means we're not going to, society is not going to go through a huge amount of pain, but like, you know, as it stands currently, I don't see any way out of this. Like politicians are not going to take the hard road. They're only ever going to take the easy road, which is which is printing money. Yeah, there has to be some cataclysmic event to reset mm. whatever. And that's where you like to read the fourth turning. Um, we're following similar patterns. Yeah. And, and, and that's why, I mean, I don't believe you can move to a Bitcoin standard without some kind of just a horrible event. It's not horrible, but... Just yeah, yeah. That horrific, part. horrific event. It's not going to be a smooth transition. No. Absolutely. There's no ways that governments just roll over and like, okay, Bitcoin, you win. That's not how it works. We're going to go, there is going to be persecution. Um, they are going to crack down. So, you know, if, you, if you're if you a Bitcoiner, you need to prepare yourself for this. Um, yeah, but I think we're being a bit, little bit, we're being a little bit <laughs> pessimistic because thankfully, no, well, uh, we, know, we know that the central banks have got a lot more money to print. Yeah, and and barring a black swan event, or like in mm. our mindset, a, a white swan event, because we know it's, it's fucking coming. Yes. We, you know, like we've got some time. And, and I, I, like it, all things but take out the, the swan events. We probably still got a good run for Bitcoin this year. Yeah. And, yeah. and maybe just find yourself, a, find yourself a nice little citadel and wait out the pain. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, and, and this is where the game theory comes in once again, geopolitical game theory, right? Like there's the certain school of thought, which is like governments will crack down on Bitcoin. They'll coordinate. Like, governments do not coordinate. This is like the history of civilization will tell you governments do not coordinate. Um, you know, they, they'll try to clamp down on Bitcoin in one area. And as soon as they do that, they'll create such a massive advantage, the prisoner's dilemma, right? Like for someone else to cheat. So for example, if America cracks down on, on Bitcoin, China would be foolish not to, to take advantage of that and be like, right, cool, we're friendly towards Bitcoin here. Yeah. Or probably won't be China. It'll probably be some smaller tax haven country that's like, well, this is, you know, the best chance for us to, to really attract capital to our country. Um, could see somewhere like the the baltic states for example like lithuania estonia latvia one of them being like okay guys bitcoiners get on over here you know or the cayman islands or mauritius for example who knows um there's many 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 options that it could be so you know when it when things do get rough at least 
you know, if you're self-custodying your Bitcoin, you can just leave, yeah. you know, and take your Bitcoin with you um, and go and set up shop somewhere else. Maybe you don't have enough Bitcoin to do that. I'm sorry, you know. Well, I mean, that's what, that's what I did. <laughs> yeah. That's what I did in Asia, right? In uh, 2019, I just bought for a year and you can't get yeah. any of your traditional money out there. Once again, they just close it in the system. Um, and, and, you know, it was awesome because I was buying it <clears throat> yep. at a $500 less premium than the, than the US dollar rate on exchanges. So, and I mean, in South Africa right now, there's like a 7 to 8% premium yep. to the dollar rate that you buy in American exchanges. So maybe we should just go into that, like why these premiums exist, right? Yeah. I mean, so the biggest reason is capital controls. So yeah. th- let's take South Africa as an example. Um, there's no, I mean, there is Bitcoin mined in South Africa, but it's a tiny, tiny amount relative to the rest of the world. It's insignificant, um, mainly because we haven't got cheap power anymore and we haven't got reliable power anymore. So you'd rather go somewhere else where you can, you can reliably mine Bitcoin, which is quite interesting with Lesotho. Like I'm surprised no one set up shop at the hydro plants there. Um, mining Bitcoin. Maybe they have, I don't know. But well, should, why being, do we? <laughs> the point being that, um, you know, there's Bitcoin has to come from elsewhere to be sold in South Africa in order to meet the demands of the market. Because mm-hmm. as we know, there's a large demand for Bitcoin in South Africa. So Bitcoin has to come in. But now, in order to go and buy more Bitcoin abroad, you have to use your foreign discretionary allowance, which is basically the government saying you can take this amount of money out of the country per year, which is fucking outrageous that that exists, but this is the reality of the world, right? Where they tell you, you can take this much of your own money out of our country, which is basically them implying slavery because they say we can control what you can or can't do with your labor. Anyway, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. The point being that the amount of people who buy Bitcoin and bring it in are finite because it's, you know, a a specific skill set. So they use their their discretionary allowance and then they can't bring any more Bitcoin in. So then demand you know is there and stays the same supply keeps dropping so therefore you have a premium developing in south africa versus the rest of the world but they've also paid like let's just call an average three 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 percent fees as well to go source bitcoin overseas as well as say like a 0.5 to one percent uh forex fee so mm. now you're getting all these margins added on these transactions that that the person who got that and sourced it needs to make a margin now themselves yeah yeah yeah, because they've taken on the risk, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why you have this premium that exists in South Africa. So any country in the world where there's capital controls, you'll see a higher price for Bitcoin. Um, a really good example of this is when Nigeria um, had their, their three-week ban on Bitcoin. The premium shot through the roof. It was trading yeah. at $60,000 in, in the, let's say the global average. It was over 85000 in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, <laughs> as soon as they ban something, the demand goes through the roof. And, yeah. and the countries that ban Bitcoin are the countries that need it most, right? Because that means you're living with an authoritarian regime. Um, well, once again, I mean, that's what Iran did a couple of years ago. And look at them now. <laughs> They're basically the Bitcoin nation now. Yeah. <laughs> like the Iranian government had some FUD the other day and they were like, oh, Bitcoin miners are, are contributing to like all this electricity consumption. That's why there's all the smog in Tehran. <laughs> Meanwhile, obviously that's just, there was no wind blowing and it's a dirty place and there's, you know, a lot of coal, electricity and cooking fires and there was smog, nothing to do with Bitcoin miners. But they used that as a pretense to go and seize the Bitcoin miners from the individuals and then might use them to mine for themselves. <laughs> so, I mean, it sucks for the Bitcoin miners, don't get me wrong, but now the Iranian government is mining Bitcoin. And they do this because there's sanctions against them. So they need to transfer money internationally to their allies, to Russia and to Venezuela and 
got into South Africa. We, we allied with North, with Iran. Well, this so is why this is why you'll see. Sector. Yeah, this is why you'll see the hash rates in China continues to go down. You got CD and in yeah. Norway now doing that. America is going to go up. America is going to go up in, in mining power, big time, <clears throat> massively. And this is what excites me the most is about the North American mining uh, industry that's that's starting to pop because there's all of that fracking gas mm. that is sitting there and is being vented into the atmosphere and it's being burnt so that it doesn't destroy the atmosphere, all that methane. And now they're just taking, they're putting generators on that, they're burning the electricity, making burning the energy, making electricity and mining Bitcoin because mm. you can't distribute that stranded energy. You can't distribute mm. it. And, and maybe this is a good segue into all of the FUD we've seen about, about Bitcoin mining and you'll hear it as a common one now. Oh, Bitcoin mining kills the environment. Oh. Bitcoin mining, if Bitcoin miners were not running, that energy would be wasted regardless. Absolutely. So all it's doing is capturing that energy that is already being wasted. Otherwise, it would be sold for some other purpose. And you don't complain when someone uses a hairdryer using electricity. You're not like, oh, drying your hair is bad for the environment because you're consuming energy. You don't make that argument. You don't say it's bad to like use an air fryer. You know, or it's like it's bad to play computer games because that's producing, you know, that's using electricity. So why make the argument against Bitcoin? It's my choice what I choose to use my electricity for. So those guys can fuck off, in yeah, my opinion. It's, it's, bad it's, argument. No, you're right. And the most important part of it to me is they have found a way to transport energy now anywhere yes. in the world. Because in, in, in traditional systems, through, through the ages, you had to like be very close to an energy source because it's yeah. very hard to transfer energy across distance. <clears throat> yeah, before and now, fossil fuels, you couldn't do it, right? And now you'd be able to monetize energy itself. But they were able to monetize it on a local level. But now you can change it to Bitcoin at the source. And then all of a sudden it is global. So this, that's ch it's changed everything. It's changed think, everything. So Bitcoin is, a, is money backed by energy. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. Like, and this is why it's the most honest money because it is proof. It's, it's, it's what Nick Zabo calls uh, unforgettable costliness. Like mm -hmm. you can prove that any, for the, the fact that Bitcoin exists, those UTXOs exist, mean that energy was consumed and there's a proof, cryptographic proof the whole way back in the chain. Yeah. Which mean, and, and for anyone to defraud that is going to cost them more energy than what was used to create it. But exactly. And then this is why then you, just, you, you just like, if once you understand the importance of proof of work, you just see our rational, like Ethereum on proof of stake and all the other shit coins are. Because proof of yep. stake is essentially what the banking system is now. Proof yes, of stake absolutely. means if you have more Ethereum under your control or your node, you have more voting power. It's like yeah. a central bank so a has more power. It's, yeah. it's, it's just the same system on a different ledger. Yeah. I just don't get, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand people. <laughs> I, I don't understand them. <laughs> yeah, man. That, that's exactly it, right? You nailed, you absolutely nailed it there. Like Ethereum and all the proof of stake coins are literally just further entrenching the, the existing aristocracy by going with proof of, proof of stake. Because yeah. if I can put more money into the system, and if I st have a start with more money, I have more say. And it entrenches that. So it's way harder for someone else to get into, the, into that like, aristocracy now. Mm. Whereas Bitcoin doesn't care about any of that. Proof of work, bro. You know, do the work and then we'll talk. <laughs> um, yeah, man, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's insane that people fall for it. But the, the, it's, it's because it's, people are greedy, right? Yeah. Um, and they, they, 
they look at Bitcoin, they're like, oh, Bitcoin is 60,000, like it's had its, it's had its meteoric rise, even though they were saying this at $1,000, they're like, oh, you know, it's gone from zero to $1,000, surely it's not, it's not gonna go up as much anymore. They think the same as 60,000. Dude, it's gonna blow your mind when you see in five years what the price of Bitcoin is. However, <clears throat> people are greedy, so they go for altcoins because they think there's more to be made there. And in the short term, there is, you know? There's not, there's no denying it. Like a short-term altcoins often outperform Bitcoin. Yeah, but not uh, in uh, any only, only a long term though. But only a select few, right? A select of few course. of ten thousand, which means your yeah. probability is already at lower than zero point zero zero one percent. Yeah, let's say between five to ten outperform Bitcoin on the short term. Yeah, you know, kind of. Let's and we say short term. Let's let's say like a three-month period. If mm-hmm. you push that period out to like six months to like three years, it changes, and Bitcoin is obviously then the, the winner. But this is a nice segue to like our next point and so like crypto scams and, and, and why they have such affinity for people is because people are like, oh, I want them gains, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, oh, these guys promised me 50% a week or, you know, pick your number. Um, we've seen them all. Um, so I think we want to dive into to help people avoid crypto scams, like the anatomy of these scams. And once you once you understand how they work, you see them so easily. So when yeah. someone comes to you and they're like, "Oh, have you heard about this thing?" You can look at it and be like, "That's a scam." And they're like, "How do you know it's a scam?" Like these, you know, my friend told me about it. He wouldn't lie to me. He's a nice guy. I'm like, because scams have to have a certain structure about them in order to scam people, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's predictable. You can you can see how they work. Um, <clears throat> so the big one we had in South Africa, which um, after we won the Rugby World Cup, our next greatest achievement we had was running the biggest <laughs> crypto scam of 2020, uh, which was MTI. <laughs> so South Africa's on top there again. Um, but yeah, MTI, family, friends, lost a bunch of money. I mean, you and I both told people don't do it. They still did it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how you learn. Um, but yeah, so so what are the what are the key characteristics to look out for in a, in a crypto scam like this? Well, someone casting your Bitcoin, number one. <laughs> Number one, always. Always. Crypto scam cannot happen if someone is not casting. If you're casting your own Bitcoin, they can't really scam you. I mean, they can try to enlist you to send it to another address, yes. but it's way harder to scam you than them just being like, I got your coins, see you yes. in Panama. Yeah. You know? So that's the thing. Everybody thinks as soon as you have a, a your Bitcoin in self-custody, uh, they're going to have to enter human engineer to send it to them. And that's when you think, okay, well, if I'm not sending it to my mom or my loved one, then don't send it to anybody else. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the first one. Number two is that they tell you they will give you X amount percent return on a certain time basis. Yeah. I mean, who is supposed to know what return you will get from an investment in the future? Not even, not even Warren Buffett knows that. Yeah. How, how are they supposed to know that? Bro, because they've got that new AI trading <laughs> bot system that is proprietary and uh, they are letting you into the club for a once-off price of, you know, a third yeah. of a Bitcoin you pay and you'll get access to our proprietary trading bot yeah. and it's got AI and there's all the buzzwords they use. Um, and meanwhile, it's vaporware. It doesn't exist. There mm-hmm. is no trading bot. <laughs> it's just the MLM scheme. And this is the third component of it. They promise you big gains. How do they pay the gains? by having you recruit other people. And it's a classic Ponzi scheme, you know? That's it. New people come in, they pay to get in. The earlier guys get paid from the new money coming in. Yeah. Until eventually um, recruitment slows down and they can't afford to pay them anymore and the whole thing topples over. And the guy at the top exit scams, basically. He leaves with all the Bitcoin. And because he's custodying it, he's like, 
See ya, I'm out. So yeah. the guy from um, MTI had 23,000 Bitcoin. So to put that in perspective, that, that Ukrainian guy we we're talking about who had 18,000, who has 18,000 Bitcoin that he acquired legitimately, that's worth a billion dollars. So 23,000 is worth what, like 1.2 billion or whatever it is, a lot. Um, and <laughs> my favorite part of the whole thing is that, is that he got um, his cronies to get him his silver to wherever he was as well. They were like, we're going to get his silver from his wife and pay an extraction team to go and fetch him yeah. in Brazil. I mean, this is the best part, right? So like the Brazilian authorities are going to let an extraction team arrive at the airport with this guy they've caught. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're extracting back to South Africa, this private extraction team. <laughs> like, no, sorry, we don't allow kidnapping. I mean, we kind of do, but we're, we're frowned upon in Brazil. So obviously that was a lie, but people fell for it. And all they did was they just took his silver to him in Brazil and they came back without him and without the silver. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, those are, those are the crypto, I mean, basically those are crypto scams. The other scams are when exchanges are hacked because uh, they're at central points that are casting Bitcoin. And it's not a certainty, but it has happened many, many, many times. So it's just a very, very known risk that people need to be aware of. And, um, and then, yeah. Government censure, right? Look at what happened to, uh, to OKX. I mean, I, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, but it's a Chinese exchange. Basically, the government just said, sorry, guys, you're closed. Or all accounts frozen. Yeah. Um, and they were one of the biggest exchanges in the world, right? They're in the top 10. Accounts frozen. Everyone's Bitcoin who's there on the exchange. It's you know not your keys, not your coins, but they freeze it and that's it. Sorry, end of, end of story. You don't have your Bitcoin. Well, it happened you can to go engage in a legal battle if you want to, to try to get your Bitcoin back. Good luck with that, fighting the Chinese government. Yeah, it happened in Nigeria as well, where the central banks basically banned it overnight. Yeah. Exact same yeah. thing, man. I'm, look, I'm very happy with my Bitcoin in self-custody. Yeah. Um, I don't have any worries. Okay, but you should have some worries because Bitcoin is an asset that requires extreme ownership. So yeah. if you are going to self-custody it, there's certain things you've got to do, right? Um there's no banker you can call up to reverse transactions uh, if you lose your passphrases, any of that. There's steps you can put in place to, to reduce the chance of you losing access to Bitcoin if you self-custody it significantly. Um, this is why multi-sig is such a, such a great thing. Mm -hmm. Because if you lose one of your keys, at least you've got some redundancy and you can use your other two keys to access your Bitcoin. But self-custody comes with responsibility, you know? Um, and if you're the kind of person who doesn't want to take responsibility for your own financial assets, then like... Bitcoin's not for you, you know, um, yeah. at the end of the day. Because if you're not going to take that ownership and you're just going to leave it on an exchange, sooner or later, you're going to get screwed. Like, it's a matter of time, really. <clears throat> I mean, you yeah. might be super lucky and be on the best exchange that, you know, that doesn't happen. But in the, in the world of financial repression that we're busy heading into, I don't see that happening. I see governments, uh, you know, trying to they're trying to control all financial transactions. This is why they want central bank digital currencies because mm -hmm. they want to control every single aspect of your financial life. Um, and in China, we've seen with the social credit score, um, they can turn off your ability to transact. And that keeps you, that makes you toe the line, right? You know, yeah. if, if, um, and we see this model being exported all around the world. Um, <clears throat> so central bank digital currencies are, are, I mean, I'm not a religious person, but they're the work of the devil. <laughs> you know, no, they, they, no, they definitely are. Look, I've really looked into the intricacies of them and they, they work on their own government form blockchains because yep. um, they can recall, they, they are then capable of recording 
a whole set of specific values and events, which means they can track every single thing that you're doing. And it means that they can stop your specific wallets that is allocated to you. And they are the only ones that can allocate a wallet to you and certain credits and all that. So look, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a reality because this has been rolled yeah. out to Ghana itself. They passed pilots. China, yep. UK is rolling out. It's going yep. to happen globally because there's no, monetary, there's no monetary and fiscal policy left to play with. And yep. they have to do these things to provide credits in a very accurate manner. And, um, and just thank God for Bitcoin because that's how you exit that system. Yeah, that's how you peacefully opt out, right? Yeah. Like it's, I mean, if, if, if you've watched or read the um, Atlas Shrugged, you know, like what does Atlas do? You know, he mm-hmm. has the weight of the world on his shoulders and he's, mm-hmm. he's the last, you know, you're the last productive person in government is trying to suck you dry. You, you shrug, you know, you say, I'm, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I peacefully, I choose not to, not to play with you guys anymore. Like you keep your CBDCs, I'm going to Bitcoin. Um, and the, the people who've done that, have been handsomely rewarded obviously and the further it goes back obviously it was more risk involved um but they've been the beneficiaries of of making that decision um and that's why myself i'm a i mean somewhere on the scale between libertarian and and anarcho-capitalist i mean it's somewhere there in the freedom loving realm um and i choose to to opt out you know like i'm not i'm not going to be party to any of that bullshit No, no And I think maybe in our next session, we'll chat more about like how to keep anonymous on uh, Bitcoin's network, look at coin joins and coin swap and, and what's going to happen in the future. I think it'll yep. be a good thing to cover. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does get pretty technical. Um, and I, I, <clears throat> I think, you know, running your own node is, is key to, to all of that. Um, but absolutely, people need to start using privacy, privacy tools because if you buy off an exchange, um, essentially that we provided KYC to, which is the same as Bitwise, right? Like we have to case KYC our clients. It's a, it's a requirement with government. Yeah. But effectively, any transaction you make that is still linked to your identity can be tracked because the blockchain is, 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 you know, pseudonymous. You can track every single transaction. So then if you can associate an identity with your address, you can then see every transaction you made. So breaking those heuristics and using CoinJoin and, and CoinSwap um, is key to like, maintaining your privacy because mm. if i go and pay for a cup of coffee using bitcoin to use roger Ver's example but if i go and pay um for, bitcoin, for a cup of coffee using bitcoin i don't want the barista knowing my net worth because he can look in the blockchain and see oh, this guy's got like and then next mm. minute he follows me home and then it does a five dollar inch attack on me yeah. um so like your privacy uh, we've been conditioned to think that privacy is a bad thing but but financial privacy is absolutely a, a, a human right you know it's, it's so imperative it's so yeah. imperative but yeah i think so that'll, let, be, that'll be a good talking point to go over don't let any cucks tell you you shouldn't have privacy <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm fired up at the moment the world's got me a bit <laughs> upset by just the madness that's going on you know yeah well on that note i think um yeah it's been a good chat Thanks to our sponsors. Um, oh, we don't have sponsors yet. So the- <laughs> Rick, Ricky and Brandon. <laughs> um, yeah. It's been a good but, session. Um, yeah, it's been good. Guys, if you want to um, make use of our services, basically what we do is it's self-custody only Bitcoin. So very, very simple. You send us money, we send you Bitcoin. So even if we get hacked or if we get shut down by the government or if we know turn out to be Chinese agents, we can't. Do anything we can't steal a bitcoin because yeah. you have it um it's that simple um that's the way satoshi intended you should hold your own bitcoin 
Um, and if you like the sound of that, reach out to us. More than happy to help you get set up. Um, there's multiple security options available. We can hold your hand, set you up with multi-sigs, et cetera. Um, or hardware wallets or hot wallets or whatever suits your purpose. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and if you're an advisor or a Bitcoin chad, um, and you know a lot about Bitcoin and you've helped all your friends and family get into Bitcoin, reach out to us. We've got a, a system in place that can pay you in Bitcoin for helping others get into Bitcoin. Um, register on our platform as an advisor and uh, get paid in Bitcoin for doing the Lord's work. It's the best thing. Amen. <laughs> Cheers, Ricky. Thanks for the chat. Cheers, guys. Have a good one. Cheers. Yes.